So um, if, if a, I'll use football as an example. If a football player gets traded to another team, um, an NFL player, he, he's playing the same game, but when he, when he changes teams, he, he has to uh, learn a new system, a new offensive system, a new playbook. Um, so we all do things differently. Okay, as far as churches go, we all have unique things. And I'm just going to let you know one of the things that Andy and I, you know, feeling this, the responsibility of shepherding and like being defensive even, um, saying, hey, the, you know, these, you are the Lord's people, but you've been entrusted under our care. So there's something that we stand firm on. We don't bring anybody in to bring the word and to stand behind this pulpit unless we have a relationship with them, unless we have a friendship. And I know not every church does that. And actually, I think I've even like offended some people in the past. They're like, hey, I've got this friend that's in from out of town and, you know, it would be great if he could minister. And I'm like, we don't know him. We don't have a friendship with him. So the answer is no. Like, that's just something we stand by. Other churches don't have to have that, but we do. So I say that saying this. We thank God for the friendship we have with Terry and Sandy Kruger and with Redemption City Church. And you know it's a friendship when you, it's, it's 14 years of strength, but it's also 14 years of going through like difficulties and being there for one another. There's been 14 years of, of at times not always like seeing things eye to eye, but always lifting each other to Christ. It's been 14 years of, of faithfulness of knowing that when my back's against the wall, when Andy and Kim, if their back's against the wall, that we were one phone call away from this couple being in our living room to strengthen us, to point us to the Lord, to remind us of this call. So I'm telling you right now, um, this isn't a guest speaker that we we're calling up. This is a friend that we have invited to, to minister ap- apostolically in this place. Um, we're told in Ephesians 4 that gifts were given to the church to strengthen that church, to grow that church up, to grow the church up. And uh, there were five gifts that were listed there. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. And although uh, Terry or TK um, is a pastor, when he steps behind here, we have no idea how the Lord, uh, what gifts are going to flow through him because he, he comes with an apostolic anointing. He comes with a prophetic anointing. He comes with knowledge of the word to teach. But the bottom line is he comes as a gift to strengthen the church. And that's how we will receive him today. Amen. So let's welcome Terry. Terry, it's great to have you with us. Thanks, Mark. After that introduction, I can hardly wait to hear myself preach. Bless you. It's every word that Mark said there about our relationship and our friendship is absolutely true. We've been friends with Mark and Kara for 13 or 14 years now, and it just is a it just is a very uh, valued friendship to us as well. And uh, we have been there for each other, as Mark said. You know, we don't relationships are important. I, I tell people this, and I've had people call me a liar to my face. I've been in full-time ministry for 30 years. I've led three churches. I've served on six eldership teams in two continents. I do not have a single broken relationship. And it's because we don't give up on friendship. 
As Mark said, we've had tough times. We've had tough times between the two of us. But we don't give up on friendship. And we'll be mad with each other and then two weeks later we'll call and be like, you're over it, bro? Can we get a coffee now? <laughs> and we do. <laughs> and we're still friends 14 years later. So it is, it is a great delight to be uh, with you this morning. Uh, turn with your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 2. Um, I'm going to try and just speak a foundational word this morning for y'all as a church. And it's not exclusive to you, it's the Bible. Um, I preached this exact same message at Redemption City last week. And unless the Lord does something different, I'm preaching at the church that we planted um, down south. Next weekend, Equip Church, I'm going to preach the same word down there. It's a foundational word. And the Bible does say that apostles and prophets lay foundations. Of course, the chief cornerstone, the chief foundation is Christ. But then there are these foundational truths in the Scripture that we are to be reminded of again and again and again. And so Paul writes to the Philippians, and he says, It's of no trouble for me to remind you of these things. And I think sometimes in the church, in business, we have CEOs and CFOs, but in the church, I think we need some CROs, chief reminding officers, where we are able to come in and remind the church again of the deep truths and some of the foundational truths of the Word of God. Uh, we're going to look at a cool portion of Scripture this morning, Acts 2 from verse 42. But before we do that, I just want to remind you that there are some portions of Scripture that are descriptive, and there are some portions of Scripture that are prescriptive. Do you understand the difference there? Descriptive, just describing what happened. Prescriptive, you have to do this. You must be born again. There's not an option there. You must be born again. It is prescriptive. Descriptive, we can learn from and we can understand something of the heart of God and what God is doing. But it's not prescriptive. Are you doing okay? And what we're going to look at this morning is definitely simply prescribing how the early church did some things. And I want to say this, man. You know, I, I, because I'm a pastor, I talk to a lot of pastors, and I often hear people say something like this. We want to get back to the book of Acts. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? We want to get back to the book of Acts. And I want to say this. You know, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back from a mature church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And if that was the Acts church, Jesus would have come back. Are you doing okay? So I, I, I don't want to go back to the book of Acts because I don't think that's the heart of God. I think the heart of God is to take us beyond the book of Acts. But to go beyond the book of Acts, we are going to have to go through the book of Acts. We're not back to the book of Acts. We don't want to get back to something. We want to go through something. We want to go on to all that God has called us to as believers and as a local church. Are you doing okay this morning? Okay, so Acts 2.42. We're going to read it real quick. Acts 2.42, we're going to read through, I think, to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. You like how I said that? In South Africa we say awe. I've learned to try and sound like y'all. Everyone was filled with awe. And many miraculous Signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who have been saved. What a beautiful passage of Scripture that is, right? Describing what early church life looked like. But I want to say this. We need to go back real quick. If you go back with me to 38 so we can understand something. Acts 2 verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. That sounds like it was written last week, right? Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Did you see that flow? You see, the page numbers and the page breaks and the chapter headings in Scripture are man-made. Every Scripture is God-breathed. But the chapter headings and the chapter breaks. A, a, a beautiful example of that is Luke 15, right? Where Jesus says, and you, you know Luke 15 uh, the, the, the par- this is how it's commonly understood. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. Yeah? That's how it's commonly understood. But if you go and read Luke 1 carefully, uh, Luke 15 verse 1 carefully, it says, He turned and told them this parable. One singular parable. Told in three parts. But man has put those chapter breaks in there. Are, are you doing okay? And so, when you read the flow of this thing... We understand who it was that devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to pray. Who was it? It was the 3,000 that had just been added. Are you doing okay? So what we're talking about this morning is not for some super saints. It's not for the super mature. It's not for the elite. This is for everyday, ordinary believers. Those who had just got saved, devoted themselves to. Are you doing okay this morning? When we get saved, that's exactly what happens. We get new devotion. We get a new faith, a new father, a new family, a new financial system. Everything is made new. That new life comes with new desires and therefore new devotion. We all like to think about forgiveness, about getting rid of all the, all the yucky stuff. And listen, I, I, I needed to get rid of some yucky stuff when I got saved. I wasn't one of those guys that was, got in trouble for singing too loud in the choir. I was in real trouble. I, I, was, I was a real sinner. And I, when I got saved, I loved that thing of God takes our sin and removes it as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that beautiful? Because east and west is, is, is an infinite distance. I'm so glad didn't say, God didn't say north and south. Because you see, you can start at the South Pole and you can travel north. And you'll only travel north until you get to the North Pole and then you're traveling south. So we can measure that distance. But when God says He takes us in and removes that as far as the east is from the west, you can start at the equator, you can start going east, and you can circumnavigate the globe 150 million times, you're still going east. Don't you love the beauty of Scripture, the richness of Scripture, how descriptive it is? That's exactly how far I needed to be away from my sin. I didn't want to be a measurable distance away from our sin. Oh, that yucky thing. Okay, well, it's just there. How many feet is that now? Okay, next year, maybe I'm another foot further away. No. I wanted an immeasurable distance away from me. And that's what God does for us. Take your sin. I remove it from you as far as the east is from the west. And then God's divine forgettery kicks in. Yeah? 
He's got a divine forgettery. Takes our sin, removes it as far as the east is from the west. And he says, and I remember it no more. So you can confess your sin. You can go, Lord, I'm so sorry about that thing. I'm so sorry I got mad with sandals this morning because you were slow getting dressed. <laughs> she wasn't. I mean, <laughs> but I, I'm, the Bible says, don't sin in your anger. So I'm, so, I'm so sorry, Lord. And then I go back 20 seconds later and go, Lord, remember that thing I said about sandals? He goes, nope. Because it's as far as the east is from the west and it's divinely forgotten. Man, this is a good gospel. I've become famous all over the world for saying the gospel gets gooder and gooder. It's not great English, but it's theologically accurate. Anyway. We get to give up our old desires. We get to give up our old things. There is no such thing as a born-again bank robber. Yeah? You're robbing banks, you get saved. You've got to stop robbing banks. Go get a job. Are you doing okay? We don't get to bring our old stuff into this salvation and, and God sprinkle grace on what is sinful and what is bad. No, you've got to stop some things and start doing some things when you get saved. Being born again, born of the Spirit, means walking away from some things and walking into some new things. Embracing new devotion, not so devoted to self, more devoted to Christ. The scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, we make it our goal to please Him. So when I was unsaved, I pleased one person, and that was me. And I didn't care who got hurt, who got bruised. I didn't care how many people ended up broken, because I did what pleased me. And then when you get saved, you read these scriptures and it says, we make it our goal to please Him. You know what that means? Sometimes I don't get pleased. Yeah? Your kingdom come. Mostly means my kingdom doesn't come. Your will be done. Mostly means my will doesn't be done. And you're doing all right. You guys are making me work for this this morning. <laughs> Not so devoted to sin, more devoted to purity and holiness. Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. Whatever is pure, whatever is holy, think on these things. Listen, I've never lived anywhere there was a winter in my life until I moved to Colorado. I was born in Zambia, Central Africa, very hot and humid. I lived in a part of South Africa that was very hot and humid. And we relocated from... South Africa to California, and California thinks they have four seasons. They have like one and a quarter. They don't have, they don't have a clue. It gets like 60 degrees, everybody starts showing up with beanies and jackets and boots. I'm like, dude, it's a nice day outside. And then God called me out of Colorado. I, and I, I want to be honest with you, I was physically fearful of coming out of Colorado because I've never lived anywhere that has a winter. I was physically fearful. I'm a very warm-blooded African. And I was physically fearful. And when you don't live in Colorado, you imagine that Colorado is under three foot of snow for ten months of the year. That's what you think. You really do think that. You don't realize how beautiful it is. But you know the thing that I've grown to love? It, it, like I, I look forward to it. I, like now, as we're going into fall, I'm looking forward to this thing. I love spring cleaning. I've never lived anywhere where we had spring cleaning because I've never lived anywhere that had a winter. But I love spring cleaning. I love it. I spring clean everything. Everything. Spring clean my garage. We take everything outside. I pressure wash the floor. I've got a nice floor in my garage. Pressure wash the floor. Put everything. That's beautiful. I spring clean my study. We spring clean the house. I spring clean my social media. 
People text me, hey, bro, we're not Facebook friends anymore. I'm like, sorry, bro, you didn't make the cut. <laughs> Spring cleaning. Spring cleaning, sorry. Listen, some of us need a spiritual spring clean every now and then. Because you know what? We just gather stuff. We just collect stuff. You know what I mean? And we just, and then like suddenly we like we've got all this stuff in our spiritual walk, and we like we never intended to keep that. But somehow just crept back into our lives, and we do the spiritual sprinkling, clean everything, get rid of everything, so we can have these new devotions. We absorb what we admire. We become like that which we behold. There's an Old Testament law of worship. It says this. They worship worthless idols and therefore they themselves became worthless. We become like that which we behold. And the more we clear stuff out of the way and the more we behold Jesus, the more we become Christ-like. Are you doing okay? That's why we need to spring clean some stuff. Okay, Acts 2, 42 to 47. That was a great introduction, eh? You good? Okay, here we go. Number one, the apostles' teaching. What time do we finish, Mark? No ways. At redemption, they say I preach by the calendar, not by the clock. So you don't want to say that, brother. Okay, apostles' teaching. Number one, they devoted themselves. The apostles' teaching, in this case, is referring to the word of God. This is not about a doctrine of man or doctrines of men. This is about... The Word of God. They devoted themselves to the Word of God. Now that meant something completely different in their day. And I'm going to give you the pattern of how Hebrew children were taught to approach the Scripture. You ready? You can write this down because it's a brilliant Bible study method and it will help you. Young Hebrew children were taught, when it came to the Word of God, they were taught to read the text. And I'll go over it again, but let me, let me just we'll see the flow. They were taught to read the text, to learn the text, to live the text, to pray the text, to teach the text, and to die to the text. Isn't that incredible? Do you want me to go through those again? Read the text, learn the text, live the text, pray the text, teach the text, and die to the text. See, this becomes so much more about depth than it is about volume. I, I, I read the Bible for years, probably for the, 50, probably for the first 15 years of my, of my walk with the Lord. I got on this reading plan that was the, the Old Testament once a year, the New Testament twice a year, and the Gospels three times a year. And I read like that for 15 years. I got on, uh, uh, then I got on another plan that was chronological. It's beautiful because the Bible, again, is arranged you know, um, by, by subject. When you read the Bible chronologically, you know, you get to, you get to Luke um, and you go straight to the book of Acts. And, and most, most commentators say that Acts was written by Luke. If you read Luke, skip John and read Acts, it reads like one book. So it's beautiful when you see those kind of things. But all of those reading patterns are about volume. So I'm going to get through the scriptures. I'm going to get through the book. And then God changed something for me. He gave me a completely different way of reading the Bible, which I don't want to talk about this morning. He gave me a completely different way about the Bible. And suddenly it became about depth rather than volume. Suddenly it became about allowing the Scripture to get deep in me. 
to read the text, to learn the text, to live the text, to pray the text, to teach the text, and to die to the text. Do you know what that means simply? It simply means this. At every point that my life does not line up with Scripture, my life must change. That's how we die to the text. It's like, okay, well, I see this thing in Scripture and I'm not doing it. I've either got to start doing it or stop doing it, whichever one the Scripture tells me to do. It's as simple as that. But in the Western world, we get so stuck in this thing of comfort and convenience. Now, surely you couldn't mean that, Lord. Surely He could. Surely our Creator, the one who created us, surely He knows what's best for us. Surely He knows and understands. The guy that mentored me would say this, It's something that's stuck in me. Jesus is God's total answer for man's total need for all time. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is God's total answer. There isn't another answer. There isn't like another thing. There's Jesus. For man's total need, whatever our need is, for all time. So not well like for that time, we need a Jesus. For this time, no, we can do without that. Or we can just add a little bit of Jesus and keep doing what we were doing. No, this is about being devoted to the Word of God. To reading the text, learning the text, living the text, praying the text, teaching the text, and dying to the text. Are you doing okay? It's time for God's people to get back to the Word of God. Because there is so much confusion out there and so many other messages coming from so many other places. I could get myself in trouble. We've got a lot of young people in our church, man. And, uh, you know, there's a constant conversation about this. It's like you can't get your theology, you can't get your doctrine, you can't get your life plan from social media. You just cannot. It's... It's, it is so, even, even if you follow believers on social media. And the thing that I try and get through people's lives is you understand everybody, every single body posts the highlights of their life on social media. It's not just when they're taking selfies and the lighting and the makeup and all that. Everybody posts the highlights. Gee, we had such a great Sunday at Redemption City Church. Twelve people got saved. The Sunday that a fight breaks out in the middle of the church and 20 people leave, I don't post that Sunday. (laughs) We haven't had that yet, but it's come close a few times. But you understand what I'm saying? Please hear me. It's highlights. We can't live our life like that. This is the thing that God has given us to live our lives by. I need to move on. Number two, the fellowship. The fellowship. Not simply fellowship. Not about sitting around picking fluff out of each other's belly buttons, singing Kumbaya, my Lord. This is the fellowship. It's the church. And I love that announcement about uh, coming to community. I love that. Such a good thing. If you're thinking about making this your local church where God is going to plant you and grow you and mature you and where you're going to walk into the things of God, get on that class. And if you've been in this church for 14 years, how long have you been going? If you've been in this church for 14 years and you haven't done that class, ask Mark if you can come. We can be reminded again of why this church exists. 
Are you doing okay? The fellowship, the koinonia, those called together for purpose. When God puts people together, He puts them together for purpose, not passivity. Are you doing okay? Husband and wife. God puts a husband and wife together. And Paul writes in Ephesians, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Every marriage to represent the relationship between Christ and His church. There's a purpose to marriage. Godly offspring, Malachi 2. God wants us to produce godly offspring. There's a purpose to parenting. Are you doing okay? God puts people together. He puts people together for purpose. Not just for passivity. The redemptive purposes of God for, for Erie, for this region, for Colorado, for the nations of the world existed long before this church was planted. Yeah? Well, God didn't ask Mark and Carrie to plant a church and then go, okay, well now there's a church there. Now let me see if my redemptive purposes can be worked out. No, it's not. The redemptive purposes exist, and into God's redemptive purposes, God will speak to a couple, a family, a group of people, a team of people, to go and plant a church there, and work out the redemptive purposes that existed before the church was planted. We're invited into the call of God. The call of God exists. Are you doing okay? As you move from being an attender to this church, to being a member, as you grow in maturity, as you walk into all of these things, Remember that. There's a plan and a purpose. I love Mark's explanation of, of the playbook. Because we all come from different churches. We all come from different church backgrounds. Or maybe we've got saved and we haven't got a clue about some of those things. And then we come into these things and there's a different playbook. I've come from a different church. We, we are good friends. And we talk a lot about what's going on at Impact and what's going on at Redemption and while there's some similarities, if you move from Redemption City Church to this church, or from this church to Redemption City Church, we've got different playbooks. Yeah. Doing okay. We do some things slightly differently. Why? Because we're trying to be better than, cleverer than, more spiritual than? No. We're trying to respond and be faithful to the call of God on this local church. Are you doing okay? What does that mean for us practically? Time, talent, treasure. Time. Get involved. It takes time. It takes time. It takes a time commitment. If there's a prayer meeting, it takes time for you to show up at the prayer meeting. If you want to be on the worship team, it takes time to come to worship practice. If you want to build relationally in the life of this church, it takes time. There's no shortcut. There's no fairy dust. You can't microwave relationships. Gee, that that's, was two of you and one was my wife, so... You just, you just can't. You can't. There's no, there's no magic wand to this stuff. It just takes time to build. It takes time to develop a relationship. Sandy and I always talk about, we talked about this thing the other day because I said to say, and we, I don't know if I'm gonna get in trouble. We've been married for 32 years. This December, 32. Wow, I got it right this time. Otherwise, I would have ended up in a headlock in the car on the way home. Trust me. <laughs> Thirty-two years we've been married, and and I'm saying you, I'm going to get in trouble. I know. <laughs> and when I was standing at the aisle thirty-two years ago, I didn't see all of this. I didn't see the thirty-two years. And like Sandal says, yeah, but I was one. 
absolutely 100% certain. Committed is different from, starts with the same letter, but it's a different word. Certain and committed is not a different thing. I don't know that you can be 100% certain, but I can promise you this now. I'm more certain now after building a marriage for 32 years than I was when I stood at the aisle 32 years ago. Does that make sense? You grow, you build, you work on these things. You work through tough times and sickness and illness. and Yeah, you do. And you come out at the end better. It takes time. Are you doing okay? Time, talent, treasure. Talent. Bring yourself to bear. Bring yourself to bear. If you've got skills, let the elders know. Doesn't have to be doesn't have to be spiritual talents. Hey, I can lead worship. Hey, I can do this. I can do that. Let the elders know about the skills and gifts that you've got. Like I can build something. I could help a single mom fix her car. I can do this. I can do that. That's how we build community. When we pool our talents and we bring our talents to bear, our skills, our gifts, our heart, our passion, we bring all of that thing to bear. Then we build community. Are you doing okay? Treasure. Again, bring yourself to bear. We don't tithe for God or for this church. We tithe for ourselves. It's the one scripture that God tells us to test Him on. Test me on this. Test me on this. I would tell my boys that when they were teenagers. I don't dare now. They're both bigger and stronger than me. But when they were teenagers, they'd give me a hard time. I'm like, are you testing me, boy? You better take the bass out of your voice. You've got teenage boys. You know that. They start talking like that. I'm like, bro, you better take the bass out of your voice when you talk to me, son. Are you testing me? I don't dare say that now. They smush me. But you understand what I'm saying? There's a, there's a test here. God says, test me on this. And if you're faithful with it, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Do you know when they open the floodgates of heaven? When they open floodgates? When the normal gates can't cope. In a dam, open the floodgates. Normal gates can't cope. Overflowing. Dam's overflowing. Dam wall's going to burst. We have to open the floodgates. When, when we get tired of living with the normal gates, we'll start tithing and we'll start to live under the floodgates of heaven. Can I tell you a little story? Is that, is that okay? Tell you a little... I've got time. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know how tithing works. I don't. I just have tithed. It was something God gave me a revelation of when I first got saved. I started tithing. Never stopped. And a couple, ten years ago, my dad died. And you know when your dad dies, that's when you get your inheritance. So I flew back out to South Africa. And only me and my sister. And my dad was a very simple man. Didn't have a lot of money, but he had a house that he had owned and paid for. And so me and my sister got to sell the house and split the inheritance. But the funny thing is, I've got, I had an uncle in South Africa on my mom's side. That was a, he was a weirdo. He was one of those guys you absolutely knew this guy's going to leave his money to the SPCA or the Cat Society or the Model Train Club or something like that. He just, like, he just was that guy. Like if we ate, if he came over for dinner and my mom served, he would go outside and eat. 
on his own. If we had a barbecue and we were eating outside and we dished, he'd go inside and eat on his own. So he's a widow. Never married, never had kids. Just was like a, this, this recluse. And so, my, and so this uncle, this weird uncle, came to me and said to me, I want to buy the house. And so I said, okay, well, that's fair enough. But my dad worked hard to store up an inheritance for me and my sister. So I can't give you the house. We had an evaluation. We had two evaluations. I said, fair price. If you can split the difference, you can have the house. And he had money. So he wrote us a check for the house, bought the house. My sister and I split the difference. It wasn't a ton of money when we got back here. There's a 20 to 1 exchange rate between South Africa and, uh, and America. But just the thing, you know, two years later, that uncle died and left me the house. Floodgates. Double inheritance. I sold the same house in two years. The same house in two years. Floodgates. Normal gates, has your dad's inheritance. Floodgates, sell the same house within two years. That, that second sale was allowed me to put the, the down payment down on the house we own today. I don't know how it works. I just know it do. It just does work when we tithe. Are you doing okay? See, I want to say this. It said, we're talking about the fellowship, right? The fellowship. And I want to encourage you. We tithe to our local church. The Bible says bring the tithe to the storehouse. The explanation of that is where do you get fed? Where do you fellowship every Sunday? Where, where, where if, if your child got sick or at two or three in the morning, who are you going to call to come and pray for your sick baby? That's who you tithe. See, somehow with, with financing and with... I'm, 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 see, this is why I get invited to churches once every ten years. Because <laughs> I get in trouble. But somehow with money and profits... Somehow we see differently. See, because we, we'll, we'll get a guy in our church, and he's a prophetic guy, and he goes, well, I'm accountable to this other prophet in Texas. No, you're not. Because that prophet in Texas doesn't see your wife showing up in my meeting every Sunday with a thick lip and a black eye. Why? Because he's not in your life. We're accountable to those people we know. I'm accountable to my local eldership team. Mutually accountable. I'm accountable to an NCMI team that the leader is based in my local church. Are you, are you doing okay? I went to Ty a couple, two, three years ago, and I said, Ty, I'm angry. He said, what are you talking about? I, just, I said, I'm just angry. He said, what are you angry about? I said, I don't know, I'm just angry. Accountability to a guy that's in my church that can change my life. You doing right? And he said this, you need a vacation. He said, I suggest you take a couple of weeks off. He said, go away on vacation. If you come back and you're still telling me you're angry, we're going to have to have a different conversation. That's accountability. Yeah. Are you doing okay? You're not accountable to somebody else on the other side of the world. It's ridiculous. She didn't get no amens for that one. And yet, we do the same thing with our money. It's like, I want to tithe to this organization. I want to tithe to that organization. But where are you going to go? You see, the Bible says this, James 5.14. Is anyone sick amongst you? Let him call the elders of the church. Let him call the elders of the church. 
And let them come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, how are you going to do that from Texas? Or from Florida? I don't know why I'm picking on Texas. If you're from Texas, I'm sorry. It's just, Texas isn't in my notes. It's just a, And I've got no issue with Texas, and I've got no... There's no illustration. There's nobody I'm thinking about from... I've actually got very good friends in Texas. Uh, I'm not picking on Texas. Are, are you doing okay? We do the same thing with our money. Send it somewhere else. This is where you get fed. This is where God's planted you. This is where God's going to grow you. And I'm laboring the point here. But here's the thing, friends. Just please catch this little thing with me. God's will. We want to work out God's will. And if we do God's will, God's way, we'll see God's glory. So when we're trying to do God's will my way, then I'm, I'm building for my glory. I understand what you, want to, what you want me to do, Lord, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to get the glory. But when I can die to self, like we said in the scripture, die to the text, God's will, God's way, we'll start to see God's glory. Are you doing okay? God's will for the local church is to reach beyond, to reach lost, hurt, broken people with the gospel to see people come to healing and wholeness, to grow in maturity, to start to walk in their call, to equip them to share the gospel with their friends, with their family, with their neighbors, with their co-workers. That's the call of God on every local church. Now, there might be some subtleties as to how you do that. That's the playbook. But that's the call of God, is to get the gospel out. God's will, God's way. Let me tell you something, friends. That takes resources. It just simply does. Even Jesus needed resources. Even Jesus needed money. Yeah? Unfortunately, money was the downfall of Judas. But Judas was the treasurer. He kept the money. And there should be a lesson for us in that. Are you doing okay? We're not focused on money. We're focused on ministry. We're not all about gathering money. We're about releasing ministry. Somebody needs to write that down. We're not about gathering money. We're about releasing ministry. The church that I'm going to go minister in, we planted out a year ago. We planted it into the south of Denver, 40 minutes drive away from us. 70000 70, $70,000 that church plant cost us. A 40 minute drive away. We've planted two churches in Australia. One church in California. You know what those cost us? But we, what do we want to do? We want to understand exactly that. God's call on them for the south of Denver. What is it? Exactly the same for us. To be able to get the gospel out to a lost, hurt, broken world. To see people saved. To see people coming into the community. To bring them into healing and wholeness. And grow them in maturity. Grow them in these things. So that they can start to walk out the call of God for their lives. So we can see marriages put together. And children being restored. And all of these things. Are you doing okay? 70 grand. Are you doing okay? See, when we see these things, when we catch this vision... Then tithing becomes a get-to, not a have-to. See, I get to? Wow, I get to tithe and see all of these things worked out in my local church? Absolutely. It becomes about opportunity, not obligation. Wow, what an opportunity to give to the kingdom. What an opportunity to see things grow and to see the gospel go out and, and to trust God. And it's an opportunity. It's not an obligation. It's not a have-to, it's a get-to. 
What a privilege. Number three, the breaking of bread. I need to move quickly here. It says they gave themselves to the breaking of bread. I've often heard it preached that this was simply about the early church meeting in each other's homes for meals, and that may be true, but I believe there's a far deeper implication there. And the Bible says, uh, every time we break bread, do this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whatever you eat, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, the breaking of bread is about ensuring that the gospel is absolutely central in our lives. That's what the breaking of bread is really about. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What, 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 what about? What, what do we do? Jesus was such a good person. No. We understand the gospel. It's a reminder of the absolute centrality of the cross. The absolute pureness, grace, completeness of the gospel. Just a few chapters later, Paul used similar language when he says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you. There's that word again. I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. First importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, least of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. See, the breaking of bread is about keeping the gospel absolutely central. It's about understanding that the gospel is the, is the key that opens everything up for us. I think believers need the gospel to remind us about this lost, broken world out there. And unbelievers need the gospel to help them find their way back to their Heavenly Father. So we all need the gospel all the time. You know, the Bible, the theologians say this. They say there's no one text in Scripture that, that explains all of the gospel. There's no one text in Scripture that we can read and go, okay, that's the whole Gospel. I think that's deliberate on God's part. Because if it was a checklist, wouldn't it be easy? I love checklists. I make a lot of lists. I'm like, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do that. I make a list for sandals, I go away, I go, did you do the list? She goes, what list? Some people just work with lists. I do. It's easy for me. I prep my space, I get in my study, I write all my stuff down, then I know what I'm doing for the week. I just work like that. But I'm so glad God doesn't. Could you imagine if the, the, the Bible was just a list of checklists? It's like, do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay, done. What next, Lord? I think it's a deliberate decision on God's part to not have the gospel all in one place. Because you know what that means? That means we have to go look for it. We have to go and search for it. And we have to go and dig it out. We have to dig for the deep truths of God. 
That's, why, that, that's how I developed that saying, the gospel gets gooder and gooder. Because when I get saved, yeah, I understood the gospel. I understood my sins were forgiven. As far as the east is from, I understood all of those things. But my understanding of the gospel now, 30 plus years later, so different. So different, so much deeper, so much richer. We've got to search out these things. Breaking of bread is about keeping Christ and the gospel absolutely central in our lives. And then fourthly and lastly, prayer. Prayer always speaks about our reliance on God. Prayer needs to become the language and the culture of the church. Prayer needs to become not just our first response, but our first language. I believe prayer is a sign of maturity. As we, be, as we mature as believers, we understand how deep our reliance really is on God. Like the, more you, the more you mature, the more you realize how really, how deep your reliance is on God. It's like this is all about God. It's all from God. It's all for God. It's all about this. We understand that ultimately He is the source of everything and everything else is the safety net. I just want to help you with that. Because of my accent. I just said Jesus is the source. You know I mean source, right? <laughs> Jesus is the source. We say source. And my kids always tease me about that one. But I'm like, okay, well, y'all don't say your tease. You'll say we're going in the mountains. Ooh, ooh, I lost a button. I'm like, there's two T's in there, bro. Just pick one. Jesus is our source. Not our secret sauce. Our source. <laughs> you doing okay? <laughs> he is our everything. The beautiful thing is, we see the result of the believers that lived like this. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread and to prayer. And verse 43 starts to talk about the results. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. See, Simon Sinek wrote a beautiful book that says we lose our way when we lose our why. And Sandy and I were talking about that one time and she said, well, that's not true for us as believers. As believers, we lose our way when we lose our wonder. When we lose the wonder of who Christ is. And that's what it says here. They were filled with awe. They were, they were amazed and in wonder at the goodness of Christ, the goodness of God, the goodness of the gospel to pull them out of what they were in and to put them into the kingdom of light. It says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. It's easy to have church unity when we're all devoted to the same thing. See, sometimes we've got to work on unity in the life of the church. If we're just all devoted to the same thing, we've got unity. You doing okay? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. A spirit of generosity broke out as they started to do these things. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was joy amongst them. It fascinates me that that scripture, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. It's a hard scripture for me. It's a beautiful scripture. It's a hard scripture. Because I look at my face. I am naturally grumpy. I have to work. Why are you nodding, Kit Kat? You and Sandals. You and Sandals need to separate. You have bad influence on each other. 
So that I, like, I have to work hard on joy. I have to allow God to, to, to drop that in my spirit and to remind me to be a joyful person. That's fascinating. The Bible says the joy of the Lord will be your strength. There was joy amongst them. They broke bread together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Remember, this is to the guys that just added 3,000. So they had 3,000. They devoted themselves to these four simple little things. All these things were the result. Were the result and then God continued to add to their number daily those who were being saved. What an incredible witness to a lost, broken, fractured world this kind of church is. Are you doing okay? Let's stand together. Let's stand. Yeah, Father, let, let's, just, let's just allow God to do some business with us this morning. It's a personal thing. Nobody's going to check up on you to see if you're reading your Bible. Nobody's going to check up on you to see if you are growing in your understanding of the gospel. Nobody's going to check up on you to see if you're tithing. These things are between us and our Heavenly Father. Now, I just want to ask you this morning, man, if you, if you feel like God has spoken to you or challenged you in any one of those aspects. Can we just take a moment now just to do some business with God? Just to allow God. I don't don't think God intends us to work out our walk with God, our calling with a clenched jaw. Like, oh, I've got to do this. It's not like that, man. The, The calling of God should be a joy for us. As I said, even about tithing, it becomes opportunity, not obligation. So, Father, right now, Would you just work with your people, Lord? Would you stir them? Would you encourage them? Would you change them? Would you challenge them? All of us, Lord, me included, would you transform us into more and more of your likeness, into more and more of your image, Lord? Would you help us deal with things that get in the way? Would you help us this morning do a little spring cleaning, a little spiritual spring cleaning, and get back on track with you, Lord? Get back on track with you, Lord. New devotions. New family. New faith. New financial system. New father. Just help us, Lord. Just to get back on track with you. We know you're not angry with us, Lord. We know you're not mad with us. You want the best for us, Lord. And we want to say your best is God's will, God's way. Your will, your way. And may we all, Lord, every marriage here, every, every set of parents here, Lord, may we, may we see your glory, Lord. Your glory in the church, your glory in marriage, your glory in parenting, Lord, your glory in our finances, Lord. Your glory, our highest calling. Thank you, my Father. Just stay there just for another minute, friends. Still our God just to speak with you this morning. Don't be convinced by a preacher. Don't be convinced by a preacher. Be convinced by the living God. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, my God. Thank you, God. That's it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, in, in times like these, the Lord, he's, he's opened up dialogue. And that dialogue doesn't just end when church ends. That, that dialogue is meant to be continued as we leave this place and and we continue responding to the Lord so let's continue to do that um, we're going to close out uh, the service with uh, two prayers um, we're going to take it just a quick second I'm going to pray um, just blessing over Israel and then we're going to I'm going to pray a blessing um, TK thank you for for being here and for encouraging us and strengthening us and sharpening us and, and for loving us and pointing us to Christ um, here let's take a second and pray Lord uh, in your word, you refer to Israel as the apple of your eye. And we're told to pray for Israel. So, Lord, we do so right now. Lord, we pray, Lord, for her protection, Lord God, that you would be with her, Lord, that you would guard her, Lord, that you would guard that, that nation and the peoples of that nation. Lord, we pray for wisdom of its leaders, Lord, that Netanyahu would have your wisdom, Lord, that he would not be limited by his own supply or even his own counsel, but, Lord, that your wisdom would be his and would be theirs, Lord. Lord, we pray for healing, Lord, as they have experienced death and plunder and rape and, and devastation and attack, Lord God, I just pray for your healing, Lord, for your peace, Lord, that fear would not have victory and that, Lord, uh, your peace would be there in every way, Lord. Lord, we, we know that our justice is not your justice, Lord, and so we don't pray for our justice. Lord, we pray for your justice, Lord, because you are just and you are righteous and you say, Lord, and we believe, we know to be true that you desire that not one would perish. So I pray for the salvation of, Lord, of everybody involved, Lord God, whether it be even those we don't want to pray your, your salvation upon because we're angry, Lord. We pray your salvation uh, upon Hamas and the Palestinians, Lord, and whoever is, is attacking, Lord God. Because, Lord, that's your heart that not one would perish. So we pray that salvation would be the result of this, of this devastation. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, it's good to, uh, to, to pray for Israel. The God, there's only blessing that comes in that. Um, so um, I'll leave us with this blessing, and then let's just love on each other, fellowship with each other. Um, reminder, if you still need to get a workbook with the series we're doing, the Hearing from God, we have those back on the communion table. Um, so uh, if, you know, just grab one of those. Make sure you guys are, are taking one of those and working through it. It's a fantastic series we're in, and that's just a tremendous help. Blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Um, have an amazing day. God bless y'all.